Okay, so Isaiah 49, um, starting in verse 1, going to verse 6. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, You are my servant, Israel in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has seen my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Second reading is from Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, beginning at verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. We have so many questions about this passage, don't we? And what on earth Jesus was doing when he spoke like this to this woman. Why on earth doesn't he answer her when she's so desperately crying out to him? Why does he seem to put her off by saying, I've been sent only to the lost sheep of Israel? And worst of all, I think, why does he seem to call this woman a dog? They're important questions, and I want to try and answer them tonight. But I want you to see, too, that as you come to this story, as the Pharisees heard Jesus speak at the beginning of chapter 15, as the disciples hear him speak in the first half of 15, and as we hear him speak, there's a much bigger question, a much more important question that we need to know the answer to. Do you remember from last week, if you were here, verse 19 and 20, Jesus talks about the real uncleanness that people have before God. Not about whether you've washed your hands or not, but about what comes out of your hearts. Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft and false testimony, where do they come from? From our hearts and the Pharisees, the disciples and we are unclean. And so the question we need to know is, 
How does an unclean person respond to Jesus? And even more importantly, how will Jesus respond to an unclean person? Well, you'll see on your outline there, first of all, an unclean woman recognises God's promised king. We're on page 1025, we're at verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. You can understand, I think, why Jesus might withdraw from Galilee where he's just been. The Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, come accusing him. And he, in response, has just told them they are hypocrites. I think if I was him, I'd be withdrawing too. A strategic withdrawal at this point is in order. But notice where he withdraws to. Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now I can almost hear the collective groan at this point. Sean's about to tell us when he went to Tyre and Sidon and what the Roman ruins were like. No! Tyre and Sidon were not on my itinerary and I couldn't have got there anyway because you can't get past the UN peacekeepers at the Israel-Lebanon border. I got to the border and there's the sign saying, don't go any further. Tyre and Sidon, it's not like going to Judea or to Galilee, to some mixed area where there are Jews and Gentiles. No, this is Jesus' only jaunt, as far as I know, international travel to an all-Gentile area. And you've got to ask the question, why? What's he doing here? Jesus has been trying to get some rest from the Jewish crowds for a while now. And maybe that's it. This is his only way to get right away from them. But I think more importantly, you see, there is someone here that he needs to meet. There is someone here that his disciples need to meet. There is someone here that we need to meet. And we meet her in verse 22. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to Jesus, crying out. Here is this unclean woman. She lives in Tyre and Sidon, not Jewish, in the Gentile area. And more than that, Matthew wants to emphasize just how unclean, just how anti-God her people are. He doesn't call her a Syrophoenician woman. That's the sort of area that they're in. That's how Mark puts it. No, he calls her a what? A Canaanite woman. That's not a contemporary name from the first century. That's from way back when the Jewish people first entered Canaan, do you remember? That's the collective name for those who live in the land of Canaan, who worship idols, who worship Baal. And God's people were to drive them out as an act of God's judgment. She's not probably even descended from the Canaanites. They have left centuries before. She's an import, but still Matthew labels her a Canaanite. It's like the English people labeling all Australians convicts, you know? She is an unclean woman, Matthew is saying. And not just that she's from Tyre and Sidon, not just that she's a Canaanite, What's her daughter got? A demon. Now that is unclean. 
Can you imagine how the Pharisees would have reacted to this woman? They were worried about the disciples not washing their hands before they ate. They wouldn't have touched this woman with a barge pole. And yet Jesus has gone to their area and this woman has come to him. How does an unclean person respond to Jesus? They come to Jesus. And then something totally unexpected happens because she cries out to Jesus and do you see what she says? Verse 22, Lord, son of David, have mercy on How does this woman even know who Jesus is? And how has she got any idea that he is the Lord, that he is the son of David, that is the Jewish king, God's promised king? Here is something totally unexpected, don't you think? An unclean woman, a very unclean woman, who comes to Jesus and recognizes Jesus as God's King. How do the unclean need to respond to Jesus? They need to come to him. They need to recognize him as God's king. But there's more here, isn't there? When Jesus was on earth, who would you expect to re- recognize him as God's king? Well, the Jewish people, obviously. The leaders of the Jewish people who knew their Bibles well. What do they do? They reject him. Who would you least expect to recognize Jesus? This woman. Today, who do you expect to recognize Jesus as God's king? Well, the good people, I think. The religious people. People like you. Who is it who you would least expect to recognize Jesus as God's king? When my wife was in year 11, they were in a, a school camp with a, and she was in a room with a group of Christians and they decided to, to be focused in their evangelism. And so they wrote down a list of all their friends that they knew at school and tried to think, what would be the next step? What could we do to help them come to know Jesus? It was a hit list, if you like. And at the bottom of their list was a friend called Louise. And Louise was so far away from recognizing Jesus that they couldn't think of anything to do to help her. And they said, all we'll have to do with Louise is pray. She was the least person they expected. And by the end of that year, she was the only person from that list who had come to recognize Jesus. And 30 years later, she is still following Jesus. Who is it that you would least expect to come to recognize Jesus as God's king? Maybe you don't even expect anyone to do that. And maybe this woman not only shows us how the unclean should respond to Jesus, but raise our expectations that those who we least expect could actually respond to Jesus. But secondly, if Jesus came to this area so that this woman could recognize him as God's king, why on earth does he give her such a hard time? 
Why is it that when she comes to him, recognises him as God's king and asks for mercy and you feel the desperation as she falls at his feet and pleads for help for her daughter, why does he not simply congratulate her on getting it right and heal her daughter straight away? Why is it that Matthew's story can't skip straight from verse 22 through to verse 28? We'd have a whole lot less, lot less questions to deal with, wouldn't we? And we'd feel a whole lot more comfortable with Jesus. What is it here? Did Jesus miss his morning coffee? Is he having a bad day? Is he actually racist and it's finally come out? Is he worried about becoming unclean by being near this woman? Does he have a policy that he just doesn't heal Gentiles? No, none of those things are true. This passage here is difficult. What Jesus says here is hard to understand, but I want you to see. I want to show you that Jesus wants to show that this unclean woman has a great faith. Imagine for a moment that Matthew's story really did skip straight from verse 22 through to verse 28. The woman said, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And he said, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. We'd be off the hook in understanding this passage, wouldn't we? But would that be actually helpful for this woman? Just call out to Jesus and he gives you what you want. Would it actually be good for the disciples who'd be left wondering who on earth was that? And was she genuine? Would it actually be good for us in understanding where this woman is coming from and how you respond to Jesus as an unclean person? No. It wouldn't be helpful for anyone. And I think the disciples and we would have good reason to be cynical about this woman. Lord, son of David, she says. Where'd she get that from? Hear it along the street somewhere? Some passing traders coming through? Does she really mean that? Does she know what it means? Lord, son of David, is she just pretending? Or even is she presuming to have a claim on this Jewish son of David when she certainly doesn't. She's an unclean Gentile woman. What's she doing calling out son of David? There are many today who pretend, aren't there? They have no idea that they are unclean before God. They think they can just pretend and say the right name about Jesus and go to the right church services. There are many today who think they can presume on God. They've got an inside running with God. They've been baptised. Their grandfather was a minister. Their family's buried at the church here. They've got an inside running with God. They can presume on him. Who's to say this woman isn't pretending and presuming on God? Jesus says she isn't and he wants to show it. She cries out, verse 22, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus does not answer. She keeps on crying out and Jesus does not answer. Why? To give her an opportunity. To give her the opportunity to show that she is genuine. She keeps on crying out. 
It's so bad that the disciples tell Jesus, just give her what she wants and send her away. And so Jesus reminds them and perhaps reminds her that she can't presume on him. He's the son of David who's been sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. It's not for her. Why? To give her an opportunity to show that she accepts this. And so she does. She stops crying out at that point and she kneels before Jesus. And what does she say? Did you notice it's different now? Verse 25. Not Lord, son of David, presuming upon the Jewish Messiah. No, simply, Lord, help me. There's no presumption. She knows that she doesn't deserve this. She simply asks. But still Jesus wants to give her an opportunity to show her great faith, to show that she accepts that she is unclean. And so he says to her, verse 26, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. It's a stark and ugly statement, isn't it? Where the children are the people of Israel and the Gentiles, well, they're called their dogs. That's the way the Jewish people talked back then. You need to notice that it's a metaphor, isn't it? He's not directly calling her a dog. It's a picture language. And do you notice here that Israel, in this passage as well, are called sheep. They're not high up there on the intelligence stakes. They're not really nice in terms of their smell. If someone called you a sheep, you wouldn't be all that pleased either. Sheep and unclean dogs. How does the woman respond? Does she say to Jesus, how dare you call me a dog? Do you think you're better than me? That's not fair, talking like that. No. What does she say? She agrees with him. Verse 27. Yes, Lord. Truly, Lord, literally it says. For even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. The NIV translation here has got but even, as if she's arguing with Jesus. But literally the word is for. Truly, Lord, she says, for even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. It's a clever response, isn't it? She immediately understands the parable, what Jesus means, and she uses the parable back at him. More importantly, it's not as clever, it's humble. She accepts the parable. You're right, Jesus. You are the Jewish Messiah, and I'm not even Jewish. I am not an insider. I am not a Jew. I am unclean. I'm not presuming upon you. I don't deserve any of your bread. My only hope is for crumbs. But I know that your bread is so abundant, you could feed a multitude. With it. He's already done that. Do you remember in the very next story? He does it again for the Gentiles. You could feed a multitude, and so your crumbs would be more than enough for me. Do you see? Is she pretending to recognize God's king with a few short words that she doesn't understand? No way. She gets it. Is she presuming to deserve his blessing when she really doesn't? No way. She knows she doesn't deserve it. 
And so this woman's faith has passed the test. Jesus wanted to show her great faith and she has shown it. And you can see by what he says. Verse 28, O woman, you have great faith. When Charlie finds his golden ticket, he is over the moon. He is going to Willy Wonka's chocolate factory for a tour. And better than that even, a lifetime supply of chocolate. What could be better? But there's an ominous note because there's this evil Mr Slugworth who's the arch enemy of Willy Wonka who really wants to get his hands on an everlasting gobstopper and offers money for one of them. Well, I go on the, uh, the tour of the chocolate factory. It's fascinating and who can forget the Oompa Loompas and all of that. But they get towards the end and Willy Wonka gets more and more bizarre and crazy. And when all the other children, the bad eggs, have disappeared, Charlie is the last one left. But Willy Wonka just goes into his office, do you remember? And doesn't say anything about the lifetime supply of chocolate. Grandpa, who's with Charlie, decides he better go ask about it because his grandson needs that lifetime supply of chocolate. And so he says, Mr Wonka, what about the lifetime supply of chocolate? And do you remember, those of you who've seen the old movie, what he says? He doesn't get it. Charlie misses out, says Willy Wonka. Why, says his grandpa? Because he disobeyed the rules. They drank some fizzy pop and ruined something in the factory and they shows them all the fine print in the contract. You lose, he says. And you can't believe how nasty this amazing man is. And grandpa is so furious, he is determined to get his own back by giving the gobstopper to Mr Slugworth. Can you remember? But Charlie... Charlie doesn't want to take revenge. He still has faith in Mr Wonka. And so he walks back to his desk and places the gobstopper on his desk. And the first time you watch it, you're just not quite sure what's going to happen. And then Gene Wilder puts his hand on the gobstopper and turns around with his huge smile upon his face and says, Oh, Charlie, you did it. I knew you did it, but I had to test you. And he calls Mr Slugworth in, who's not Mr Slugworth at all. He's Mr Wilkinson, and he's on Willy Wonka's payroll. It was a test, the whole thing, do you see, to show that Charlie was the real thing. Jesus is testing this unclean woman's faith, not to put her down, not to put her off, but to show her faith, to show it to her, to bring it out so that she'd be reassured, to show it to the disciples so they know she's not pretending or presuming upon him, to show it to us that we might delight in her faith. And he says to her, O woman, you have great How should an unclean person respond to Jesus by recognising him as God's king and having great faith? What is great faith here, do you think? 
What is it that this woman has in Jesus? It's not the amount of faith. It's not her certainty that it would happen. There's no emphasis on that here. It's that she recognized Jesus. She accepted her uncleanness and she simply asked for mercy. Do you see that? That's the faith that she had, and it is a great faith. Is your faith like that? Do you recognize Jesus as God's king? Accept your uncleanness before him and simply ask for mercy. Or are you one of those people who pretend with these words about Jesus or presume upon Jesus because of who you are? Do you have a great faith like this woman? Well, I said there were two questions. Do you remember? There's how should you respond to Jesus if you're unclean? And more importantly, how does Jesus respond to those who are unclean? Those of you who were here last week might remember that I asked you to imagine that rather than share at the end of the day over the meal table how your day had been, instead you could just show a video of all the things you had seen that day. And more importantly, that the video would have subtitles of your thoughts. How unclean our hearts are. How would Jesus respond? knowing that video and knowing the subtitles. Well, here is a very unclean woman. She's from Tyre and Sidon. She's a Canaanite and her daughter has a demon. She has great faith. And Jesus says to her, O woman, it's in great emotion in the original, O woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. How about the very unclean you? With your evil thoughts and evil actions and evil words, do you have a great faith that recognises Jesus as God's king, that accepts your uncleanness and simply asks for mercy? If you do, do you know how Jesus responds to you? Oh, child, you have great faith. Your request is granted. You're made clean. Do you think that's good news? It's great news. Great news for you, and it could be great news for your friends and family. How is it that Jesus can grant that request to this unclean woman and to your unclean Well, as James mentioned, today we remember when Jesus rode into Jerusalem and the people said, Hosanna to the son of David. But a week later, they handed him over to the unclean Gentiles who led him out to the unclean part outside the city and hung him unclean upon a tree so that he could bring us mercy. Not just to the lost sheep of Israel, but now to all nations, even to unclean Canaanites like this woman. 
even to unclean Australians like us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus, just before this event, tells us about our unclean hearts so that we might know what we need to know is how does a man or a woman with an unclean heart respond to Jesus? Father, help us to be like this woman, to recognise who Jesus is and to accept our uncleanness and to simply ask for mercy and depend upon Jesus. And Father, we thank you for these wonderful words that Jesus spoke to this very unclean woman. O woman, you have great faith. Help us to delight and be filled with joy at the confidence we have in Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name.